0: It is good to be here, Um, and I'm excited for this morning. So I'm going to jump right in. So over the past six months, the pandemic time, um, honestly, it wasn't always easy for me to pray. How about you? Prayer was kind of difficult, because along with the rest of the world, my mind and my heart felt quite chaotic. I found it hard to land somewhere to pray, Um, on anything in particular. I struggled to know what to say when I was praying about the pandemic, about something that we didn't understand, we still don't fully, and we don't always agree on what to do and how to do it. And so I struggled to know how to pray about the pandemic. And then I struggled to know how to pray for our world that seemed to be imploding on itself and hate just kept on rising I struggled to know how to pray because it felt like my prayers were insignificant and I just didn't, I was so, I just was so chaotic inside and I didn't know what to pray. And I didn't know what to pray about the, how to do church. I didn't know how to do that because I felt so disjointed. I didn't know how to pray for here. And I knew that we needed God's direction but i didn't fully know how to pray i didn't fully know how to pray for you because while i was praying for you i didn't know i didn't know what was the right thing to pray what was needed how could god intervene i didn't know how to pray for my family and my friends i didn't that seemed to be uncomfortable or it just didn't seem to like i just couldn't get the words obviously even now as i say it i couldn't get the words I didn't know how to pray when things kept coming up about the commodification of human beings, which wasn't a brand new piece in our world. Obviously, we know that human trafficking has existed, and yet when it kept coming up, I didn't know how to pray. And I just felt like the chaos of the world had then been bombarded upon me, and I didn't know how to pray. I felt chaotic. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit deposited a little bit of reminder for me that God specializes in making order out of chaos. That's what he specializes in. As the Holy Spirit hovered over the chaos of our unformed cosmos, which Genesis 1-2 tells us, he created order and he created promise, not just for humanity, but this entire world and cosmos, just as he had formed order out of chaos there, he can form order out of our chaos. I was so grateful for that reminder throughout the summer. Now, last week, we heard an amazing sermon from Dave from Philippians 4, 4-7, and I'm just going to repeat it again. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again, Rejoice. Let your gentleness or reasonableness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The text notes that God invites us to be a part, he invites us out of chaos and into promise. He invites us out of anxiety and into his order. And there is peace and there is promise and there is unity found in scripture tells us prayer. So in the midst of the chaos of the summer, as Gavin and I were seeking the Lord's direction as to where we should go for chapel, we were like, is this going to (laughs) happen? But then as we were trying to figure out where is God leading us and how is he directing us, we were pulled to the concept of prayer. We were burdened with the reality that in a season that is marked by chaos, we as a people, we as as a community that is summit should be marked by prayer. And so we are convinced that healing and peace is needed, both for you and for our world, for me and the world, and we are convinced that prayer—that prayer, that prayer comes when that healing and um, and peace is found in prayer. And so we're convinced that that's where we need to be. That as we spend the semester focusing on prayer aligning ourselves with what God desires for our life and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to our spirits, there will be healing and peace. Now, as Dave paraphrased Paul's words, I'm going to paraphrase Dave's words. (laughs) So Dave, Dave is paraphrasing Paul and he said, take your anxiety, which is inevitable, and turn it into a season of prayer. So, I'm going to jump on that and say, take your season of chaos and turn it into a season of prayer. See, Dave noted that when we do that, when we take anxiety and turn it into a season of prayer, that that's good self care. I'm going to take it, oh, yeah, I'm going to take it a bit further because the beautiful thing about prayer is it isn't about me praying for me and you praying for you and you praying for you. It is me praying for you and you praying for me and you praying for you. So when we hear, take your anxiety, take the chaos and turn it into a season of prayer, it's saying, don't just, don't just rely on prayer as self-care. Yes, it's good self-care, great self-care. But prayer is also beautiful us care. It invites us collectively to enter into the wholeness of who God is and what he brings to our lives. And so in a season where the body of, of, the body of believers, we've been quite disjointed, haven't we? We've not been able to get together this year last week maybe is one of the first times that we've you've actually been worship, you've been able to worship with another person right we've been very disjointed and the church has been a bit polarized polarized not polaroided uh, polarized by different situations and whatever camp you stand on if you're political or not right like there's been this polarization of people and so as the church as a people As a student body, we need good us care. We need to pray for each other. So we're going to commit to pray. We're going to commit. And that's our theme, prayer, period. Prayer. So we do know, though, that while prayer is good self-care and while prayer is good us care, As a community of believers, as a community of Summit Pacific College, we're never together fully. There's a disjointedness even in us gathering. It is amazing. We are very blessed to be able to have chapel. We are very blessed to be able to worship together, learn together, pray with each other. But we will never at this time in our season of life, we're never going to be able to do that in the same building at the same time. We cannot rely on proximity to unite us. We can't. We have to rely on prayer to unite us. So we believe that, Gavin and I believe that God has brought our attention to a particular tool that we would like to use to help us to be united. So this semester, as we focus on prayer, we're going to be using something called the prayer covenant. And this is it. So the prayer covenant is a tool, and this tool is like the psalms. So similar to the psalms that were used, they were written as communal prayers. The psalms were written so that everybody got on the exact same page, prayed together, worshipped together, lamented together. And so we're going to use something kind of similar. This right here is our prayer covenant, and we're gonna help, it's going to help us to get on the same page and pray together so that we can be united through prayer, not just proximity. Now, Gavin and I, we've been praying this prayer for months. Since about June, we've been praying this prayer for for us, for ourselves, for each other, for families, and for you. Back in August, we gave it to our staff, and they've been praying it for them, for each other. And for you. Back at the student leaders retreat just before school started, we gave it to our student leaders. They've been praying it for themselves, for each other, and for you. See, we're already starting to get united in prayer. We are very hopeful and very excited to see what's going to happen in our lives as a community as we join together and pray for each other with one united vision and one united goal. See, our hope is that we can commit to giving as much of ourselves as we possibly can to as much of Christ that we can understand and ask Jesus to be the Lord of our life every single day while we're dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's the goal. What do you think? Are you on board? No? Yes? Are you awake? Okay. So then, what is this prayer that I just keep talking about? So I'd love it if we could actually pray it together now. So it'll be up on the screen. Let's pray it together. Dear Father, thank you for your grace that has made me one of your dearly loved children. By your grace, make being with you, loving you, and obeying you my highest priority. Empower me to love others the way you love me. Wash me clean from every sin. Enable me to praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Jesus, be Lord of my life today in new ways and change me any way you want. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me an instrument of your grace, truth, forgiveness, righteousness, and justice. Use me today for your glory as a witness to your kingdom and to invite others to follow Jesus as Lord. Gracious Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to spend considerable time I would implore you to spend considerable time on your own praying this prayer, getting it into your spirit, getting it into your mind, and to pray it for each other. Now, as we take time to pray this, we're going to take time to be, we're going to spend time um, each chapel focusing, focusing on how to be God-centered, Christ-exalted, Holy Spirit-led, and empowered. Each week, we're going to spend time focusing on the topics of grace, love, compassion, repentance, and worship, and commitment. We're going to spend time on dependence, influence, discipleship, and authority. That's where we're going to go this semester. And it's all going to be rooted in prayer. So now, in 10 minutes, I'm going to talk about grace. (laughs) So, grace, the very beginning, the first statement of the prayer says, Dear Father, thank you for your grace that has made me one of your dearly loved children. Now, grace and love, they go hand in hand. Love, God doesn't just love us because we deserve it and we know that. It isn't just because he's ooey and gooey inside. God loves us because he's gracious. That's why he loves us, because he's a gracious God. Now, someone who knows God's grace very deeply is Peter. So while it seems like Peter is plucked from obscurity when he is chosen to be a disciple of Jesus, he's chosen on purpose by Jesus to be a child of God and to be a leader for him and his kingdom. Peter can't take any credit for being in the position that he was chosen to be in. He can't even say that he like, you know, was the first one to discover Jesus because that's not even the case. His brother Andrew brought his attention to Jesus. So Peter is a bit of a a regular nobody person just like you and I because we're all special. But you know, like he's, you know, Peter, he's just a fisherman who's not always awesome at that either. Now, he's rash and he's confident. That's his personality. And the entire time that he's with Jesus, he's rash and confident. And at the very end of, you know, Jesus' time with his his disciples, Peter is indignant that even though the other disciples might just deny Jesus, he would never. He would never. And yet Jesus, he knew. And he says to him, I tell you the truth today, not even, tonight, You're going to deny me. You're going to. You're going to disown me, and you're not just going to do it once. You're going to do it three times. And so we read, we know the three accounts of Peter's denial of Jesus. And each denial, it becomes more empathic. And the final time, it's worse. And he says, so he begins to, like, call down curses on himself and swears to them that he doesn't know this Jesus that they're talking about. And Luke 22 tells us that at that very moment, Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter wept bitterly. Could you imagine that moment? Jesus, I would never deny you, eyeball to eyeball, and Jesus watched him do it. Could you imagine what that would have been like, the feeling for Peter? At that moment, Peter wasn't the faithful follower that he said he was going to be. He wasn't living in the fullness of what it meant to be a child of God. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Thanks be to God. That's not the story that we know because we know that after Jesus' um, crucifixion and after he came back to life, there's this beautiful, grace-filled experience in the morning on the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus, as Peter is again having a failed fishing expedition, yet again, Peter calls out from the shore, how you doing? Why don't you put your net out one more time? Again, this is the second time that Jesus did this, right? This was the first, this is one of the first experiences that Peter has with Jesus. And so Jesus does it again. He says, put off, put your nets. And again, they caught a really large uh, net full of fish. We see this in John 21. Now, this isn't a moment for Jesus to stretch out his miracle muscles to see if he still got it, right? Can I still do the fish trick? No. <sighs> this is a moment for Jesus to show Peter his grace. This is a moment where Jesus says, I, don't, I know what you did, but I don't count it against you. Jesus says, and he he shows his grace. He shows Peter that he still loves him. He shows Peter that he can still provide for him. He shows Peter that he still has a purpose. And all of those expressions are the expressions of grace. Jesus, by grace, reestablishes the role that Peter was given in the first place. He reestablishes and restores his leadership position. And in Jesus' style, in his beautiful way that he does, he says, do you love me? Three times, right? And he says, yes, absolutely. And after every affirmation, Peter um, Peter says, Jesus then says, well, take care of my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And when he's saying that, like Jesus does, because he often says one thing and is meaning there's a greater depth underneath it, he's saying, you're my child. Be about the father's business. Be about what God, the shepherd, the good shepherd, be about that. Come. It doesn't matter. Now, like Peter, we've all experienced that calling moment. I hear you call. I am available. Right? We have that first moment where we hear Jesus calling our name and we say, Yes, I want to be yours. Where he says, Follow me. I love you so much. I want you to be the child. I want you to be a part of the family of God. I-, I want you to be my child. I love you so deeply. And we respond to that. That's salvation. We've all experienced that. But like Peter, we've also had that feeling and we've also had that moment where in that supernatural eyeball-to-eyeball moment, we've looked at Jesus and we know, we know that we haven't been the full, fully follower of Jesus as we should have been, that we didn't live like a child who loves would live. We've all been there. We know that too. We know what it is to desperately need God's grace again. Now, in Mark 8, 38, Jesus made it really clear that public denial is not what he's about. He says, this is Mark thirty-eight or Mark 8, 38. He says, if any of you are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, the son of man will be ashamed of you. That's pretty harsh. Peter was ashamed of Jesus that night in the courtyard. And yet, there is the account of the morning on the Sea of Galilee. There is that breakfast together where Jesus receives Peter and restores him back to that place of leadership. That is grace. Now, in this, this is the way of grace for each of us, right? We don't just have that gift of salvation every day. We need that grace, don't we? Because every day we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And every day, sometimes we don't always act like a full follower of Jesus. But because of his grace, God calls us child. Because of his grace, he loves each and every one of us. And sometimes he recalls us child. Because we need that reminder. Richard Foster says this. The most wonderful thing that can happen to any human is to be loved. It alone speaks to the gnawing insignificance and isolation that we feel. And the marvelous news is that we have been loved and are loved, each and every one of us. Uniquely, individually, at the heart of the universe is love, divine love, personal intimate, God-love for you and for me. You are known. You are chosen. You are loved. Once experienced at the deepest level of our soul, no reality can be more profoundly disturbing. No reality can be more radically healing and no reality more utterly transforming than to know that we are loved by God's grace we are loved by God's grace we are called children Peter reminds us then in one of his letters that it's not just you are a child of God and you're a child of God he reminds us that we are children of God when he says that you are not you are a chosen people you're a royal priesthood He says, "Collectively, you are loved. We are loved. See, once we did not know mercy," Peter says, "but now we do. And once we didn't know what grace felt like, but now we do. We now know what what grace is like, collectively and individually. And so, there's a response. Grace requires a bit of a response." And the natural response for grace should be gratitude, which is why our prayer starts the way that it does. Thank you for your grace. See, our thanksgiving is a way for us to receive and celebrate the grace that God is giving us. So here's my challenge to you. Perhaps you could take some time to reflect on the grace of God. You could reflect on the grace that was extended to you when he said come and follow me come and be my child and perhaps you could reflect on those moments where you re- <laughs> where we messed up or where you needed God's grace where he recalled and said I love you anyways I'm giving you grace anyways in spite of I love you. Can I encourage you to take some time and sit in the comfort of God's grace, the comfort that is actually quite uncomfortable? You know what it's like, right? You know that feeling when you're like, I don't deserve this? That's the beautiful thing of grace. It is so uncomfortable, and yet it's a beautiful comfort to know that we are loved. You are loved. You are chosen to be his child. And it is from that spot that then we carry on, knowing that we are God's child, knowing that we are loved. So if I could end here, encouraging you to reflect, and I would love to pray for us as we go. Dear Father, thank you for your grace that has made us your dearly loved children. Help us to receive your grace. Help us to celebrate your love and your grace again and again and again, not just today, but every day. In gratitude back to you, we say we love you. Amen.